You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Stephanie Walter. I'm Scott Lynn, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. Wealth begets wealth. Isn't that always what people say? No wonder the rich keep getting richer. They have the monetary acumen, the cold hard cash to get in on some of the best and most fruitful investments. Real estate, collectibles, startups and IPOs, angel investing... If you really want to hit it out of the park and get oversized returns, you need to make sizable investments, not thousands, but hundreds of thousands, dare I say, millions. But most of us don't have access to so much money at once. So what happens to us? How do we compete with the ultra-wealthy, the big banks, and the insurance companies? You may think it's impossible, but my guests today are helping everyday people do just that. Stephanie Walter is the CEO of AirBay Wealth capital raiser, syndicator, and real estate investor. She recently retired and sold her insurance agency of 16 years by following the key principles she teaches professionals to use. Scott Lynn is the founder and CEO of Masterworks.io. He founded Masterworks in 2017 after realizing that art had better risk-adjusted returns than other asset classes, but the only way to invest is if someone has millions of dollars to buy a painting or tens of millions of dollars to build a portfolio. Stephanie and Scott, welcome to Earn and Invest. Scott, as I listen to my own intro, I start to think, is it fair? I mean, it seems like the rules of investing really favor the rich already. Well, look, I mean, I, I think if you if you look at the art market, and that's that's obviously what we we have knowledge about, it, it's it's one of these asset classes that's been around for centuries, right? The ultra wealthy have been collecting in today's dollars, multi-million dollar paintings for for hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, so it so it inherently is an asset class that's only accessible to people that that have millions of dollars to buy these paintings. Now, you know, is it unfair? I I don't know. I mean, certainly from a masterworks perspective, we're trying to change that dynamic by securitizing paintings for the first time, so so anyone can invest. But but we really view it as an evolution. Like I think a lot of these asset classes historically have have not been securitized. There hasn't been a way to purchase shares in them. So we're seeing we're seeing lots of things, art, farmland, collectibles in general, become securitized and, and accessible for the first time. Scott, it's a really interesting subject, securitization. We're going to talk about it in a moment, but first I want to jump over to Stephanie. Same question for the small investor when it comes to real estate. Are they at a big disadvantage? I mean, I think at uh, one time they were. A lot of people have not heard of, of syndication, which is what I do with with real estate. But I think you know, within the last twenty 
maybe 25 years, it's become something that's been a lot more available, probably because of the information on the internet that you can get. And so it has made it more accessible to more people. But yeah, I mean, the same as what Scott said, this type of investing has been around, you know, for hundreds of years. And in your introduction, you mentioned the big banks, insurance companies and the wealthy have taken advantage of it up to this point. My reach out is really towards the average investor to take advantage of these, these products. So we're definitely going to talk about syndication as well as securitization. I think it's a big part of what you both have to offer today. But before we do, I want to hear some of the backstory. Scott, tell me about Masterworks. How did it come to be? Where did the idea come from? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been starting technology companies for the past the past twenty years. So everything from online advertising to fintech, casual gaming, really, really just internet, internet type companies, and and have also been collecting art throughout that same period of time. So personally, I have an important collection focused on abstract expressionism, which for for those who are listening are artists like uh, Rothko, Pollock, Klein, de Kooning, important mid century American artists, and and I guess I've seen the value of my personal collection and appreciate over the past. 20 years and and just felt like that should be an investment that's available to anyone. So it really was just a, a personal experience kind of building the product that, you know, that I, that I wish I had when I first got into the art market. Now, this is an aside, but it's something that I noticed when I just got out of medical school and was in residency, I started my own business selling artwork. I found a way online <laughs> to buy paintings cheaply the same paintings people were buying for galleries and sell them online. And one of the interesting things about that I found is this artwork that I originally loved and thought was the greatest thing in the world. At some point when I was buying tens and then eventually hundreds of thousands of dollars of this artwork, it lost its flair. It almost became pieces of paper to me. I bet with Masterworks, you now get a chance to interact with some of the most well-known artwork in the world. Has it lost some of the magic that it had for you at one point? That's a really, you know, that I've done a lot of these podcasts and that's a really interesting question. So what, what I tell friends is that it, you know, it, it, it definitely has. I mean, look, we're, we're the largest buyer in the art market today. We're looking at, I think, I think for the, the 55 artist markets that we track, we've now seen over $10 billion in work. You know, we look at so much art. So it, it, it definitely has changed my lens from, wanting to go to gallery open openings on whatever <laughs> the weekends to, to doing other things. But I think that's, I think that's true of anything, anything you do professionally. Stephanie, your backstory interests me also. I mean, you had, it sounds like a very successful insurance agency. You were doing that for 16 years. Why the move to real estate? All along, I, I invested on, in real estate, like single family homes. I didn't have kind of a, a great deal of I was more interested because I I thought I had an idea of where areas of Denver were going to go and certainly was very lucky with the way that things panned out here. But I was asked to go to a boot camp in 2016, and that's when I learned about the concept of syndication. And I just, my mind was, was kind of blown. That was it for me. Uh, I loved the idea of a group of people buying a piece of real estate that no one could do on their own. And so from there, I just immersed myself completely in this and 
had my first syndication in 2018 and then partnered up with my partner at that time. And I focused on raising the money and he focuses on finding the deals. And now we're on our um, ninth deal together. And I just really enjoyed getting to know the the investors and really interacting with, with groups of wealthy people and just kind of learned how they handle their money a lot differently than what we're taught. And so because of that, I changed the way that I was managing my money. And therefore, I was able to retire in this year in July of 2021. And so now I just kind of want to get out there and tell everybody, you know, that this is something that they can do too. So I think this is a great chance, Stephanie, for us to talk a little bit about what a syndication is. And if you can, can you describe some of the roles? I mean, you mentioned sponsor. I hear you talk about investor. Can you kind of draw that out for us a little and tell us how that works? Sure. Yeah. It's a group of people that buy a piece of real estate. Essentially, it starts with my partner and myself, who we go out and we know our market and we go through hundreds of different properties until we find one that really, uh, you know, gets us through our due diligence process and makes sense. We get the financing, usually, you know, 75% financed. And then at that time, when we when we're ready, then we ask our investors, we present the deal to our investors. And those are the how the audience could get involved is uh, the investors come in, they invest their money. And then every month they're they're sent a distribution check for the time we hold the property, which is between three and five years. They are buying shares of an LLC. All I can speak to is what our investments have done. And uh, we strive to get over 20% annualized return for our investors. And that's interesting because obviously at some point you realize that through this syndication, you could do two things. One is you probably had access to bigger investments that you would have never had before. And second, your returns were much higher than you were making as in your insurance business. And that's part of, I imagine, what helped you make that transition. Yeah. And just like I said, being around wealthy people, I was always really focused on on my net worth. And that was kind of my thing. And I had collected a lot of real estate and was cash flowing, not very much at all. What I realized is the wealthy are are supremely concerned with the cash flow. And once I shifted my folk, that's how that worked for me. Scott, at Masterworks, you say our mission is to democratize the $1.7 trillion art market. I'm reminded of that when I listen to Stephanie talk. Be more specific. What do you mean democratize the art market? Yeah, so if you if you look at the size of the asset class, it's a it's a 1.7 trillion dollar asset class. There's roughly 60 billion dollars a year in art that sells. Our view is that it's the largest asset class which has never been securitized, which has never had investment products built. So we just fundamentally believe in people investing in art very similar to how they invest in real estate, similar to how they invest in public equities. But there hasn't there hasn't been a way to do that historically. So when we think about the vision for the company, and you know, ten years from now, we we believe that asset allocation models should look at public equities, they should look at fixed income, they should look at alternatives like like real estate, and there should be some allocation to art. And we've used now the term securitization a few times. Can you 
tell me specifically, what does that mean when you say you securitize the art market? When we buy a painting, we literally file that painting with the SEC as a public offering. Each individual work is a public offering. So we're, we're the largest filer of IPOs now, I think, with the SEC. We do one about every five days. So we, you know, that's a process that we have to go through in order to sell shares to, to accredited and non-accredited investors in the U.S., really, really just referred to as, as securitization broadly. One of the benefits, Scott, it seems, of securitization is liquidity. Talk to me about how liquidity plays a role in Masterworks, especially for the people who are investing with you guys. Yeah. So, you know, one of the challenges with, with art as an asset class historically is, has really been lack of liquidity. So if you buy a painting, you should expect to hold that painting somewhere between three and 10 years and, until you can sell it. I guess it's probably not that dissimilar to, to an asset class like real estate. One of the things we've done on Masterworks is after, after people invest in these, these painting specific IPOs, we now have a secondary market where we allow people to trade securities and in individual works of art. So that, you know, that's, that's really created a new avenue or a new way to think about liquidity in an asset class, which really historically has been viewed as, as, as somewhat illiquid. Stephanie, one of the problems with real estate is the same exact thing, right? We look at real estate as predominantly illiquid. Has the syndication model changed that? No, it's still, you know, fairly, it is a liquid. Basically, you, we find a property, um, you invest with us, and usually we plan to hold that property between three and five years. Now, we have had people that have, we've never had someone come through and want to liquidate what they have. But that is something that since our Offerings are on the smaller side. We probably have between uh, 50 and 100 investors. We would not have a problem if someone really wanted to get out of it of of selling out and and doing it. But it is a a bit of a headache and not what it was designed for. Yeah. in, In a sense, you mentioned that do the investors own shares in an LLC and are those shares tradable or sellable? Yes, correct. So technically, someone could sell or, or trade those shares, but but it's not not it's not an easy thing to do, so to speak. Right, right, yeah, it, that is correct, and we haven't had it happen yet. So Scott, we talk right now about the equity market, and it seems like we've had these amazing returns in the equity market over the last decade. There's a lot of talk now about how we're going to keep this up for the next decade. So if you look at the major brokerage firms, news agencies, et cetera, there's a lot of reporting right now about the idea that equity returns just won't be so great over the next bunch of years. Tell me about returns with artwork. What have you found in your work with Masterworks? Generally, what have you found with returns and how how do you think they'll match up with kind of future equity returns? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. So, you know, let, let me try to break that down. So I think when you, you look at most private banks today, they're, they're guiding public equity returns somewhere between three and 5% over the next decade on an annualized basis. And that's obviously very, very different than what's happened over the past, the past 10 years. So I think that combined with, with now this very recent concern around inflation is really driving demand for alternatives broadly. A lot of investors obviously can't get the returns that they need from fixed income. They're concerned about future returns in public equities. 
So they're looking for for other places to to park their money. And I think that's I think that's been great for for alts generally. Now with with art specifically, you know, the interesting thing about art is that it's it's really a a non-correlated asset class, meaning that it doesn't necessarily behave like public equities or or other asset classes. And there's there's kind of two reasons for that. One is that you can you can buy a painting in New York and you can sell it in Hong Kong. So it is a global asset class. Our acquisitions team is working every single day with sellers of paintings around the world. So it's it's really not a country specific asset class. And two, art prices, at least in this this million dollar and up painting category, are really correlated to the the ultra wealthy. So as the top one percent get wealthier around the globe, we tend to believe that that art prices go up. So that's that's really a long-winded way of saying that we don't, you know, all of our data shows that that art prices in general are not correlated to, to public equities. If you look at returns over the past 25 years, contemporary art, which is defined as art created after World War II, is appreciated 14% a year. You know, how, how does that change in the future? We're not, you know, we're frankly not not sure. We we don't really give forward-looking guidance on that, but we tend to believe that the top one percent is getting wealthier. You know, we 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 tend to to have some concerns, I think, internally about about inflation. Although we're we're not macro people, so I think you know, I think demand for asset classes like this just just continues to grow. How do collectibles generally do in an inflationary environment? You know, it's a really excellent question. So we we unfortunately uh, don't have data on it. Is the short answer? So our data goes back to kind of, you know, the early 1980s, sort of late 1970s at this point, we're still building it back further and further. So we don't have, we don't have good data on how art prices behave specifically in an inflationary environment. We do know that art prices are, are inversely correlated to real interest rates, which, which doesn't quite answer, quite answer that, that question, but we do know that they go up as, as real interest rates go down. Stephanie, let's talk about returns when it comes to syndications. Did you just say that you're you're usually shoot for about a twenty percent return? That that sounds pretty high. Yeah, yeah. Well, it it just comes from us, you know, doing a lot of vetting, going through a lot of deals before we find them. Really knowing our market, our market tends to be largely in Florida. Uh, that's where my partner has been for the past thirty five years as a commercial broker. So we're able to get a lot of off-market deals. Our philosophy really is to buy our money on, on it being a good buy to begin with. But the beauty of, of multifamily where people, I talk to people who aren't quite as familiar, they're like, well, will, will it go down a lot? You know, if, you know, because Florida had that big crash years ago. And actually multifamily is not valued I tell people to think of buying multifamily as like purchasing a business. The value of the apartment complex comes from what its net income is. So the income minus expenses is what gives the property its value. And interestingly enough, through you know the past recessions, even through COVID, which we really noticed nothing at all, partially probably because of where most of our properties were located in Florida, weather very well through the through the recessions. Because if you think about it, people are leaving their houses, possibly trying to move into an apartment. So largely, these apartments are not affected at all during recessions and actually tend to do better. 
Stephanie, you were talking about recessions, and certainly I know people worry about a real estate bubble and how it could affect syndications. Tell me what you think the risk profile of being involved in a syndication is. What are the greatest risks for a new investor? The greatest risk people that I that I speak to um, are not knowing the type of asset class they're getting involved with or not knowing their market. And, you know, that those are the two biggest things, you know, people that I've talked to someone the a few weeks ago that had invested in a syndication and it was about a hundred thousand square foot office building in like a tertiary market in Illinois. That that is not, you know, that's a that's a different type of commercial real estate. You really have to understand, you know, the areas that you're investing in. I mean, we saw that very clearly in you know, 2020 and and 21 is is through COVID because we did actually, we don't often do these, but we do have retail that we do. And we had purchased a fairly large retail center in, in 2019. And we were worried about how that would look post COVID. But, you know, that is, again, where the market really is super important about where you invest. I think knowing that finding a team that has a lot of experience, that's what I would tell, has proven experience in the market that they're wanting you to invest in. I think the biggest risk to investing in a syndication is going with a team that doesn't have a track record. Because even if you purchase a multifamily property that you know, is just kind of an average property, an excellent operator can make that an excellent investment. But someone that doesn't know what they're doing can, that could be pretty detrimental. Yeah, what you're talking about is operator risk. And especially on the investor side, people don't always realize that just because you're in a syndication doesn't mean that it's safe. You've got to do your due diligence and, and really study up on that operator. Correct. Yep. You definitely have to do your research on the team that you're getting involved with. Scott, answer that same question for collecting artwork. What type of due diligence does an investor have to do, especially if they're looking at a securitized form like Masterworks? So I think when you think about risk to the art market generally, we we tend to think about the risk to the top 1% on a global basis. If, if, you know, if we believe that our prices go up if the top one percent get get wealthier. Then then we you know tend to also wonder what causes if you know what happens if things like wealth taxes are put in place, art specific taxes. You know I think those are the the types of risks that are inherent to to the art market. But in terms of our diligence process or our investment process, so we you know we focus on fifty five artists today. It's a relatively small number of artists. There's roughly seven thousand artists that are traded at public auction. Out of those 55, we've seen just over $10 billion in work. We're buying on a run rate basis now around four or five hundred million a year. So we're we're buying a pretty, pretty small fraction of, of what we see. And you know, our 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 research team, kind of data, data analytics team or acquisitions team are just focused on finding what we think are the best, the best risk-adjusted opportunities in, in the art market. We are talking both syndication and securitization of the art market with Stephanie Walter and Scott Lynn. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. 
This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to remind you that if you want to connect with me, Jordan Grummet, also known as Doc G, there are a few different ways to do it. First and foremost, there's JordanGrummet.com. That's J-O-R-D-A-N-G-R-U-M-E-T.com. Right now, that's being diverted to my old medical blog, but eventually it will be a hub for all things Doc G, Earn and Invest and my new book, Taking Stock. So check me out, jordangrummet.com. Also, there is our Earn and Invest Facebook group. Just go to earnandinvest.com slash Facebook. Here we discuss topics similar to what you hear on the podcast, but it is 24-7. We discuss economics, personal finance, the financial independence movement, you name it, we discuss it there. And last but not least, you can go to earnandinvest.com to get the latest episodes, videos, and blog posts. Check us out. We hope to see you at any of these places as well as the podcast you're listening to today. Now back to the show. Stephanie Walter is the CEO of Airbay Wealth and Scott Lynn is the founder and CEO of Masterworks.io. And we are talking about securitization of artwork as well as syndication of real estate Let's talk, Stephanie, about our overall asset portfolio. So investors are going to come to you interested in a syndication. Where do you see either real estate or syndication itself fitting into the general asset allocation of most of your investors? Is this something that they're putting most of their money towards, or is it something that they're really apportioning out 10 or 20%? That's a good question because I, I deal largely, I mean, I have dealt largely with very wealthy people. Now they do it differently than kind of the new investor, which I'm really trying to target to bring into this. What I have found is the wealthy, you know, if you look at what they have invested, they invest, you know, kind of Scott is doing, they, they invest in intangible assets. So they're investing in art, they're investing in real estate, they're investing in in businesses, largely businesses. And that is really diametrically opposed to how most people, you know, who have a, a W-2 job are very heavily invested with their 401k. And so what I what I'm seeing with my newer investors is they'll they'll kind of try us out. Because a lot of times it, it almost sounds like it's, you know, most people have never heard of it. And you know, it really is kind of, you know, a relationship, definitely business for them to give us a chance. And then they go through, you know, a year or a couple of years with us. They see the amazing tax benefits. 
as well as these amazing returns without having to worry about, you know, being a landlord or doing anything, just getting that mailbox money. When our second deal comes around, they they invest a lot more money into it. So I can't say, you know, I see the wealthy and they they invest very, very heavily in syndications, the ones that I've seen. The more, you know, average investor has their money in their 401k, some of it in, in there, and then they, they start to move more money into the syndication once they become a little more comfortable. So Stephanie, I'm going to ask you a personal question because I love to ask real estate people this, but if you're willing to tell us with your own asset allocation, how much is in real estate versus equities? I would say probably, well, I I know specifically 90% is in real estate, 10% in, yeah, the stock market. And Scott, I want to ask you the same question about about collectibles. What role do you think collectibles should play in your average investor's asset allocation? So we, we've done a lot of work on this. And interestingly, Citigroup did the first asset allocation study on art in 2015. And they, they did it on the art market overall. And they concluded at that point that, that somewhere between 1.4 and 4% should be allocated to art. We work heavily with our research team today. So we're, we're, we're trying to encourage them to, to update that asset allocation model based on spe- specifically contemporary art. But look, I think I think for most people, this is a this is a single digit allocation. I think if they get more comfortable comfortable with it, it can move into a to a double digit allocation. You know, it's interesting. Like if you think about how asset allocation models work, they're they're usually constrained based on returns, right? So if you look at the return of contemporary art at fourteen percent a year for the past the past twenty five years, that outperforms public equities. That that definitely outperforms fixed income. So it really depends what the investor's tolerance is for for risk or volatility, and that's 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 kind of an investor by investor analysis. Scott, do you have any data on the Masterworks members? So your investors, do you have any idea how they're using it in their asset allocations? Any data about how big of a portion of their investment allocation it is? Yeah, I mean, we you know our, our bread and butter investors usually has a net worth somewhere between one and ten million dollars. They're they're allocating tens of thousands of dollars to these paintings over time. We we don't know specifically in all of our investors what percentage of their their portfolio that is. You know, again, I would say it's probably single digits growing into to low double digits over time. But I you know it's 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 not entirely we we don't have full full transparency. Stephanie, as I listen to you and Scott talk about these mechanisms, these vehicles for investing, I think about both securitization and syndication as kind of fairly upper level financial instruments. And whenever we get into those, you start worrying about governmental regulation. I know that syndication actually somewhat became popular because changes in governmental regulation, I think, in the 1990s. Tell me, is that a big concern of yours that government could change how it regulates syndications, which could change how you do business? It's not a big, it's not something I'm, I guess the concern that we've talked about a lot this year is, is potentially the change to the 1031 and how that would affect people, you know, wanting to roll their money over. But no, I I have not been concerned about that. 
So the 1031 is the rule that allows people to take the capital gains from the sale of real estate and roll that into a new real estate investment property. Tell me how that works with syndications. Are you are the rules fairly similar that you can take a hard asset like a single family home that you're renting out, sell it and roll those capital gains into a syndication deal? Correct. Yep, you that's exactly it. So depending on how large the asset is, uh they can we can set up a syndication to meet the requirements of uh, a tick, a, a tenant in common, to where that they could invest that way. But yeah, there there are other, you know, I think w- us as an industry are largely more concerned of what's going on with like tax proposals and, and things like that, but not necessarily regulatory things. Scott, tell me the regulatory environment that you face with securitization. You are doing a fairly new thing. There's not no one else I know of out there who's securitizing artwork. How much of a concern is it that the government's going to come in and change something? How much time do you spend on regulatory issues? I mean, we spend a ton of time, right? So we, you know, we have a full in-house legal group that that is that is just focused on regulatory compliance. You know, each of our paintings is filed with the SEC as a public offering. So you can go to the SEC's website, which is referred to as Edgar, and search for Masterworks and read about you know, each individual painting, see its updated quarterly filings. Our sales team is regulated by FINRA. You know, our, our trading platform is, is operating under a, a regulated framework. So we're, we're a heavily regulated business at this point. I think Stephanie is right. I mean, I think the things that investors care most about are more tax-related changes than necessarily regulatory framework. But I mean... You know, this this is the first business I've had that's a heavily regulated business, and it is, you it's know, it's definitely, not, <laughs> definitely not easy. Take it from someone who's worked in healthcare, and I've worked in nursing homes a lot, and been a medical director of nursing homes. And yes, government regulation is not easy. Compliance is not easy. It's not um, easy. Yeah. yeah, it certainly can get in the way of running a business for better or for worse. Yeah. So, Stephanie, talk to me about. The people who don't do well with real estate syndication. So there are a lot of people listening right now. They're saying, wow, this sounds pretty cool. Sounds like there's some really great returns coming. This is a time when we're all worried about what our equity returns are going to be. Who doesn't do well with syndications? You know, people that want uh, their money to be liquid. That, that would be, you know, the person that would not do well with this. I can't really think of anyone else. I think, you know, it's a, it's a great asset that I, that I believe in a lot and extremely recession proof, low risk, high return um, for the investment. But yeah, I, I would say that would be the person that would want their money to be very liquid. I mean, Stephanie, you're, you're painting a really good picture of syndications. I mean, are there some downsides? Like what do people complain about when it comes to syndications? What I hear a lot is just from other people that have invested and their expectations weren't really set very well up front in the sense of, you know, they said, okay, you'll be getting distributions and now it's a year or two into the investment and they haven't received any distributions or there's a lack of communication with the team that's getting back to them. That's, those are big things. I, as far as like operators, the people that put these deals together, I mean, there's a person who I knew in in Indiana who through COVID, because of all the, you know, the 
moratoriums and and all the the crazy stuff within that state was not able to collect rent. So there's a regulation that as you're speaking of and that caused his that property to, you know, disband. Yeah, it's it's really really having a trust in in the in the team that and seeing that they have a track record is by far the most important thing. Scott, is there anyone that you come across who you say, Nevada is not a good Masterworks client? Are there people who the art market is not made for? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think I think even though we have secondary markets and there's there's now trading on the platform, we tell investors to to think of this as an illiquid three to ten year horizon before before you 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 know receive any distribution. So I think that's the investor that that it's really not right for, right? If you really need to have access to your entire investment portfolio on a liquid basis at any point in time, then investing in alts generally is probably not right for you. Scott, how active is that secondary market? It, it's really interesting because obviously the idea, I imagine when you started Masterworks is people were going to get in, they were going to own a piece of that artwork and they were going to hold it with you until they got paid out when you sold it. The secondary market is a whole different and interesting concept. How active is it? Tell me what the feedback you're getting from your investors is. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely getting more and more active, right? So we have, I'll get these numbers precisely wrong, but I think we have 30, 35,000 active investors now and, and something like 20 or 30% of those have active trading accounts. So we're we're seeing securities clear reasonable prices in a day or two, which is you know is pretty good liquidity for an asset class historically that takes that takes years to sell. But uh, I always tell people to remember that these aren't you know they're not exchange traded securities. It's not like you're buying and selling a share in Google where it clears in milliseconds, right? These these trades you know can take can take days or weeks to clear reasonable prices. But I, I think the investor community generally has been really really happy with it because it's it's just an you know additional way to to get out if you need or want to. How are the prices set on the secondary market? So obviously when you hold a securitized piece of artwork, you wait eight to 10 years and you sell it, you clearly know what you bought it for. On the other hand, when you're talking about the secondary market where people are trading pieces of this piece of art that hasn't been sold yet, how do you actually place value on those shares? Yeah, so there's there's a couple of things. So one is that as a business, we provide quarterly appraisals uh, to investors regardless. So there's there's an appraisal framework, so investors know how to think about the appraised value per share of every painting. The second thing we do is that when you when you enter a buy order on the trading platform at a certain share price, the platform automatically tells you the implied value of the painting at that share price. So you know, if you enter thirty dollars a share, it'll tell you that that means you know the implied value of the painting is three million dollars, and you can then decide you know whether or not it makes sense for you to sell your shares at that at that price. This is a fascinating conversation, and it occurs to me, Stephanie, that people may want to know more about both syndication and securitization. Tell me, are there some good objective places to go on the internet to learn about syndication? somewhere that you can kind of get the gist of what it is and how to become a, a good investor in syndication? There, there are, you know, a lot of websites. I should know some that are not related to myself, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's just extremely important to educate. That's, you know, what I do on my website. But I mean, just putting in real estate syndication, I know 
for some content I was interested in putting together at the beginning of this year. I just looked up, you know, what are the the hundred most uh, common questions that an investor should ask before getting into a syndication. And that's a great place to start. And you could just Google that and and find that. But because it it's interesting because most investors really have the same set of questions. And if you understand those questions and why you need to ask them, then you should be in good shape. It's not as complicated as um, people make it out to be. It's, you know, it, it really isn't. I think a lot of people get scared from from these different alternative investments, but it's it's really, I don't think you need to be. And I always tell people for all things real estate, you have nowhere else to go. Definitely check out Bigger Pockets because usually yep. someone on the Bigger Pockets platform has done whatever you're interested in doing and has talked about it there. Scott, also tell me about artwork. If you want to know the latest and greatest, not just about investing, but what's happening in the artwork market, where do you go to learn about it? Especially if you're a newbie like me. Yeah, so I think I think there's diff- different questions, right? So if you want to know about the size of the market, the size of the asset class, Deloitte does a nice job in conjunction with a firm called Arc Tactic to publish data on the on the market broadly. If you're interested in understanding prices and how prices are trending at an individual artist level, there's a great website uh, which we like called called Art Price, which we we think really does the best job at helping collectors or investors in this case really understand how the art market is is trending and how different individual artist artist markets are trending. One of the things that's cool about art, which I, I guess is the same about real estate, is that half of the market is traded at public auction. So you have a really big database of public prices and what things sell for to, to analyze. Well, Scott and Stephanie, I really wanted to thank you for having this conversation most of us, when we think about investing, we think about the basics. We think about buying equities often in index fund. We think about having bonds. And if we think about real estate, we tend to think about becoming landlords. The world of investing is a lot more complicated than that. And as we've seen, the wealthy have these instruments in which they use to make a lot of money to have outsized returns Up until now, I don't think those returns were available to the rest of us, but certainly with syndication and certain forms of securitization, we're seeing that the smaller players, the people who don't have as much money to put in, still have an opportunity to get in on some of these big investments, which I think is going to be important over the next coming decade, especially if what people are saying about equities is true. Stephanie, I wanted to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what's up next in your life and where can we find you if we want to learn more? What's going on and how do we find you? This week, we're closing on a, a property in, in Cape Coral, Florida, and where we just got our fourth property under contract in uh, Tallahassee, which is, we, we really like that area, obviously. But to find information on me, you can go to my website, which is uh, www.erbewealth.com. As I said before the show, that Erbe is the German word for legacy. And Scott, if we want to know more about Masterworks IO, where do we go and what is happening currently with Masterworks? Yeah, I mean, we're just right now really focused on continuing to uh, to roll out more and more paintings, you know, 
it's becoming a pretty, pretty, pretty frequent thing. We're trying to roll out fun products over the next, the next six months. So if people want broad exposure to the asset class, they can do that by investing in a fund. But to get started, just go to www.masterworks.io, request access, schedule a call with our membership team, and they'll talk about your investment objectives and, and help you get started. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I want to thank Stephanie Walter and Scott Lynn. That's a wrap. Have you been considering investing in real estate? If you have, the best place to go to learn about this asset class is the Real Estate and Financial Independence Podcast with Coach Carson. Here, Chad, aka The Coach, talks about real estate and gives you all the tips and tricks. But not only that, but he has guests on real proof of concept about how to reach financial independence by mastering this tricky asset class. Check them out. Real Estate and Financial Independence Podcast with Coach Carson. It is a must listen to if you think real estate is going to be part of your financial holdings. The easiest way to get there is to go to CoachCarson.com. Again, CoachCarson.com. Take a listen. You won't regret it. Nicely done. Thank you. Cool. So do you, was, was there anything you guys felt like we didn't cover that you wanted to be part of the podcast? I usually have an after show where I kind of tape some of these things we talk about now, but was anything on your mind? Anything you think we didn't talk about? No, I, thought, I thought you did a nice job. That was, that was professionally done. I do a lot of these. <laughs> you, did, you did a good job. <laughs> I, I try my best. As I always tell people, um, I think the art of the interview is really important. And uh, it's important to me to do some research and kind of know something about what you're talking about it and really try to build a conversation that's meaningful as opposed to, you know, kind of the basic questions. So it's important to me. Yeah, no, it was a good job. And and Stephanie, anything you feel like you just wish we covered or anything you feel like we didn't? No, I I thought it was a really good interview as well. Yeah, it's a... Two, very, two different things, but you, you brought them together. So Yeah, was- and I, I really do see them as um, different sides of the same coin. And so there, there are a lot of us out here who are finally getting used to this basic idea of how to be a stock market investor. Um, and it's taken time, right? It's taken time for a lot of people, certainly in my generation and certainly in my personal finance communities, to get past those basics and start saying, well, there's a lot of other stuff out there. And we know that some of the stuff really works because we have friends and family and people we see on the internet who are doing really well with these investments. Um, But until we know more about the specifics, until it becomes part of the normal parlance of what we talk about, uh, it's hard to get involved in them. So I I think it's an important conversation. And I, I think we are all coming to the conclusion that equity markets may be more volatile than we thought they would be um, and and may not treat us as well as they have in the past, right? Everyone said, well, just, you know, put your money in VIX and it'll do great forever. We all want to believe that. Um, but right now, I think there's a lot of pessimism that that, that, that routine is going to serve us in the future. I think that's right. Yeah. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? 
This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.